0: Okay, mic check. One, two, one, two, one, two. Uh, yeah, let's get it. And now, the number one most requested song on WQQR. Will you be going to the uh, the pajama disco tonight? What? No, hit me. No, it is some cash in my hand. Oh. The dog hit you with a gun. Oh, come on, man. Give me some money. Now I'm be bossing. Oh, shit. About mother. Oh, my it's mother time. Oh, my okay. Yeah. Oh, they told her it was chilly outside, she wouldn't got a bowl. Why am mind my fucking business? That's where I'm going. Do you have a problem with that, officer? <laughs> What's the fucking procedure when you got a gun at your head? But I got a, I have a right yes, to draw my collar, darling. I, I am beautiful, and I know I I'm beautiful. And that's the double truth, Yes, 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 yes. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Adventures in Black Cinema, your passport to black film. My name is Desmond Thorne. I will be your host and your film aficionado for the day. And like I said, we back. We took our little summer break. You know, summer was busy, continues to be busy. Summer continues to rage on in the streets and we love to see it because to me, You know, when I was growing up, I would say I was more of a winter person. I'm definitely very much a fall and spring person, though the unpredictability of those seasons in New York City can be very taxing and tiring and can just throw you for a fucking loop. But I have grown to love summer. You know, when I was a kid, I just hated when it would get hot and shit. The heat, the humidity, being out in the sun, being forced to go to various camps, I did not like it. But the summer is so cherished for me now. I love the vibes. I'm fine with the heat for the most part. It does make it difficult to use one's oven when one lives in a one-bedroom apartment. You know, it's also hard in a three-bedroom apartment. But yeah, you know, using the oven is tough. Meal prep has been really tough to do in the summer with this heat. But I am so much more thankful for this than the winter. Just the thought of winter just brings me the fuck down. But we still have a good, like, month. You know, with um, climate change happening, we have a good two, three months left this summer. So let's keep the vibes going. I'm very excited to be back. You know, in June, I did this big program at Nighthawk Cinema at both of our locations called Be Gay Do Crime with Shayna Macy Warner, who is someone I used to program with at New Fest. It was just a wonderful experience. We had a couple performances. We hooked up with this really great food restaurant a food restaurant what the most fucking redundant thing I've ever said in my life but this great restaurant that's in the area of our Prospect Park location we just did so many cool events we had an intro from a team that made a documentary about Nightmare on Elm Street 2 before a screening of that movie we had so many great video intros from directors John Waters Todd Haynes we got a great video intro from Maya Taylor who is the lead in Tangerine. It was just a really great time and my heart is so full with just the love that we received for that program. And in July I did the leading ladies of sci-fi at both locations, which for the most part, really popped off. It was, it's been a great summer, y'all. And this month, I'm doing a program called Orange and Blue Skies, Spike Lee's New York, where we are celebrating and honoring the films that Spike Lee has made in his home city, of New York and I'm so excited for that. That's all gonna be on 35 millimeter film. The prints that I have looked at so far, which are Do The Right Thing and Malcolm X have been gorgeous. I've seen the Jungle Fever print before, it's great. So I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of these on film and the events surrounding them. We're having a DJ after party after Crooklyn. Adventures in Black Cinema will be presenting Jungle Fever. We will be having a live jazz quartet playing a set before a screening of Mo Better Blues. And our Reconsider This, which is another series that I run at Nighthawk, will be Girl Six. Co-introed by Shay Fillmore, who has been on the podcast many, many, many times. So I'm excited for all of that. It's gonna be such a great month, such a great time. And, you know, today's film does remind me of a Spike Lee film called The Five Bloods, in that we are discussing what Black Vietnam vets went through during the war and after the war. So today, greetings from the Bronx. Today's adventure will be in returning and robbery, and we will be getting into the nitty-gritty of dead presidents. But first, let's talk about a little gay shit. Now you want to talk about beating? Let's talk about beating. So, 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 oh, some very big gay shit has happened. Pride Month is here again. Release the alphabets, as I've seen on Twitter, because Renaissance Act One has been released by Beyonce. Beyonce. At the time of recording, it has just been released. When this episode comes out, it'll have been out for a couple weeks or so, and we will still be feeling the vibes. I wonder if by the time this episode comes out, we will have gotten Act 2, which I hear is a rumor to be the visual album of Renaissance, so I'm very excited for that. But man, oh man, is this album so gay, and I love it. This album is giving us... Disco, this album is giving us ballroom. This album is giving us, oh, it's giving us everything. So many queer producers and songwriters. I know DJ Mike Q was involved in this. Uh, Sid wrote, oh my God. It's it's so new that I can't even get all the names out. Uh, Plastic on the Sofa. Oh, I got there, guys. I got there. I fucking got there. There's so many queer songwriters and producers involved beyond them. And there's still being pieces written about the minutia and the bits and pieces that Beyonce has gathered from the culture to create this wonderful, wonderful album. I mean, the thing about Beyonce and the thing that someone said so clearly and so perfectly on Twitter is that. Beyoncé does not just put together a group of songs for an album. Beyoncé brings you to an entire world. And she has definitely done that with this album, probably to the greatest extent that she's ever done. You just feel so immersed in this world of this music, the way that the transitions are seamless. I mean, you can tell that this album is also built for records because... The transitions only come between songs that are on the same side. You can already tell where the album is going to cut and where you're going to be flipping that record over. It is so good. Front to back, top to bottom. No skips. No skips, bitch. And I love Beyonce. And every once in a while on an album, she will have some skips. Like Lemonade has a couple skips on it. Self-titled, the more I have listened to it over the years is... No skips, I think. I think there's a song in there that I don't love. I can't think of it off the top of my head, so that's a skill. And the album four, with the original track listing, the original track listing, no bonus tracks. I'm sorry, this is one where I'm gonna cut the bonus tracks. Perfect. And then also B-Day, perfect album, no skips. This is just a new level. I mean, this album is almost an hour and it's giving you club, Bus, plane, another club, another club, another club. It's giving you the uh, <laughs> Whitney Houston video where she says, "Yes, it's about the clubs. It's it's really about the clubs and the gays. That's where they go. That it's about the clubs. Mm-hmm. The clubs are happening. You know, um, people. The gay community keeps them happening. It's where they go to release. It's where they go to get their stuff off." They like to hear banging music. Good banging music. care each That's where they release uh, we miss you, Whitney. You, we know that Whitney Houston would've ate this album up, but like, come on y'all. I'm that girl, Virgo's Groove, the Alien song. This album is so new that I uh, don't even know all the tracks all the time my head. Alien Superstar. Y'all was about to come for me for that. Um, all Up On Your Mind, I fucking love. All Up In Your Mind. I love Plastic On The Sofa. Oh, it's so good. Pure, honey, heated. I mean, the list just really goes on and on and on. So I'm, ex- I'm so thrilled with this masterpiece. It is some gay shit. I know this, this is a show about cinema, but we must talk about the culture in many ways. And, you know, if the rumors are right... Act two is about to be some fucking cinema. So it counts, it absolutely counts. I just cannot wait to see and just continue to live in this album. You know, we have gotten such an embarrassment of riches this year in terms of music. And this is just one of the best ones. So if you are one of the only people who has not listened to Renaissance yet, you really need to get on it. It is an absolute masterpiece. And after this commercial break, we will be getting into the nitty gritty of dead presidents. Stay tuned. So let's get into the nitty-gritty of Dead Presidents. So Dead Presidents was directed by the Hughes brothers, Alan and Albert Hughes, and it was released in 1995. And here's a little summary of the film if you haven't seen it or haven't even heard of it, which would be a crime, get it, crime. This film tells the story of a young man named Anthony Curtis, played by Lorenz Tate, and his life over a series of years as he goes from a hopeful high school graduate in the Bronx to combat in Vietnam, and his life when he returns, which leads him to robbing a Federal Reserve truck in order to make ends meet in a world that is incredibly unfair to him upon his return. This plan to rob an armored car, making a stop at the Federal Reserve Bank is made with other characters we get to meet during the movie along the way, including Anthony's mentor, Kirby, played by Keith David, his best friend, Skip, played by Chris Tucker, a fellow bananas that turned pastor, played by Bokeem Woodbine, another high school friend named Jose, played by Freddie Rodriguez, and Anthony's baby mother's sister, complicated web, <laughs> Named Delilah, played by Nabushi Wright, who we have seen earlier this season in Blade. This film also stars James Pickens Jr., Jennifer Lewis, Isaiah Washington, who goes uncredited in this movie for some reason, Michael Imperioli, my man, been in so many black films. I always love to see my man's Imperioli pop up. We got Clifton Powell in this movie, who is along with Frankie Faison, Bakeem Woodbine, Faison Love, just one of those character actors that you see pop up constantly in Black movies. Terrence Howard is in this film, and we also have Martin Sheen in this film, who also goes uncredited. But I think that that's more... Of a kind of like surprise homage kind of thing, you know, being from Apocalypse Now and all that kind of shit like that. So some fun facts about this film are is that this film is partly based on the real life experiences of Hayward T. Kirkland, who served time in prison after committing an armed robbery in face paint. There are also inspirations taken from incidents involving the Black Liberation Army. Now, reading the story about the robbery that the Black Liberation Army pulled off is just absolutely bananas. Now, a lot of this part of the story in the film comes into play with Delilah's character who, when... Anthony returns from the war, sees that Delilah has joined the Black Liberation Army in conjunction with the Black Panthers in talking about how unfairly Black and Latin veterans have been treated in terms of not getting disability, not being able to get jobs, just... You know, the treatment that they were receiving before the war times 10, which is crazy because these men went to go fight for this country that didn't give a shit about them in the first place, and they come back and they get even more shit, which is just a tale as old as time in the United States of fucking America. Fun fact number two, speaking of Delilah, the role of Delilah was originally offered to Jada Pinkett, but she turned it down out of respect for Tupac, who had beef with the Hughes brothers. And this beef goes back to Menace to Society, which we've covered on the show. And, you know, Jada was friends with Tupac. Jada dated Tupac. And like, I guess I get it. And I'm glad that Nabouche ended up playing this role instead because there is something of significance in seeing a darker skinned woman play this role because you just know that there was more on the line for her for being part of the Black Liberation Army and also for doing what she did, you know, pulling off this robbery and being the brains not all the brains, but being one of the major brains behind the operations of this robbery. So I like that choice. You know, Jada is a very good actor. It would have been also a bit of a back-to-back with her in robbing films (laughs) because she would have starred in Set It Off, which was released a year later. So I also always love to see Nabouche in things. I want to see her in more things. So I'm glad that she ended up getting this role. Uh, Fun fact number three, apparently the word fuck is uttered a grand total of 247 times in this film. And I believe it. Wow. So my first experience with this film is that I had been wanting to see this movie for a long time. I had heard so much about it. You know, it's definitely in my mind considered to be a black classic. There's, you know... Something that was surprising about the fact that this film didn't take place in the 90s, it has such a 90s vibe to it of course, was released in the 90s and has such a 90s lore around it that when I started watching this movie and, you know, kind of went in blind and realized that it was about the Vietnam era, I was I was taken aback. I mean, this poster always felt menacing to me in a way that I always found intriguing and also confusing at the same time because I had, again, no context. I think when this movie came out, people might have had more context being that this is based on and inspired by true events. And, you know, I finally did watch this movie when it was available on Prime last January, still in the throes of quarantine, which is crazy to think that that was only, like, basically a year and a half ago that we were still in the throes, jobless. (laughs) And I really enjoyed it. I was really taken in by the acting and just really surprised at how well the story was handled overall. You know, even loving Menace to Society, I was just so impressed by the filmmaking of The Brothers. The Brothers Hughes, very impressed by their work. And when I watched it again for the podcast, I have to say I loved it even more. I just saw so much more in it. Got so much more from it, especially now knowing what to expect and everything. Man, just what a great film. So now, let's get into these themes of returning and robbery. Robbery. So first of all, it should be absolutely noted that Danny Elfman fucking put his foot up in this score, y'all. This score is so good. The opening main title theme just drops you right into the situation. And again, it's interesting because this main title theme kind of hints more at the final act of the film more than anything else. So when the film actually starts, it's kind of surprising that it is in this, you know, optimistic kind of world of the Bronx that we are seeing through Lorenz Tate's eyes in the beginning as a teenager. But I mean, this score in the beginning with the burning money, it's such a foreshadowing of the events to come because there is a part near the end where there is money that is burning. And watching this money burn feels like so many things all at once. It really takes in this double meaning of dead presidents. Of course, dead presidents we are talking about money. <laughs> Because the only people on money is dead presidents. So, for sure, that is an aspect that the movie is trying to evoke here. But also, the double meaning of dead presidents, you know, being the fact that we have been so mistreated in this country. So, to me, dead presidents also kind of feels like this history that we've been through, right? All of these dead presidents and the decisions that they have made and the decisions that the people under them have made and the decisions that this country has made over time, it just keeps going. All of these things and decisions and choices made by these dead presidents are keeping us in this place that we've been in, in this country this whole time. It's actually really, really quite brilliant. So before we get into... This idea of returning, you know, we got to do a little performance breakdown, Breakdown, shakedown. Because this is an ensemble film. You know, Lorenz Tate is leading the charge here. And Lorenz Tate is just absolutely brilliant in this film. I think, honestly... And I know I say this a lot, but I say it in honesty and earnestness that so many of these performances should have been nominated for Oscars. Lorenz Tate, his performance in this movie is just absolutely spectacular. In the beginning, Lorenz, Freddie, and Chris Tucker are all playing high school students and they're obviously not high school aged. So at first, you're just like, oh, okay. But you see what they're doing here to not convince, but to evoke them being high schoolers. There's a kind of energy that they have, right? There's a kind of optimism, this brightness that all three of these performances have that when you're seeing it a second or third time on any repeat viewing, it just really makes all of these characters' sense way more tragic. You can tell that all of them are looking forward to life after high school, looking forward to the things that they can do, what they can become, all of these wonderful things that they're looking forward to, and really and truly, none of it happens. Lorenz Tate is able to take you through all of the journeys of this character, from being bright-eyed and bushy-tailed as a high schooler, to being in the war and kind of wanting to distance himself from his life in the Bronx because it almost feels painful to think about, to think about where he was before and where he is now. And then after the war, to see, again, how he is kind of optimistic about how he will be perceived after the war as a war hero in the United States, and how that does not happen as we're getting into, I guess what I would consider to be the fourth act of the movie where things are just going down. Things are just kind of spiraling down for this young man. You know, he comes home and he's still happy. You know, he does find a job, but he goes through some struggles finding a job. And then when he's with his baby mama again and meets his child, his daughter, he's so happy. He's still optimistic. He's not really seeing the mistreatment quite yet. But then once he loses his job and he can't find a job anymore and things with his relationship start to sour because of his PTSD and him realizing all of these things that he left behind at the time. You know, Clifton Powell comes in and he starts to kind of fuck things up with their relationship. In terms of Lorenz Tate's, Anthony's insecurities, around everything that has happened and around everything that he's going through right now. It's just so sad and painful to watch that this is one experience of many, and though a fictionalized experience, an experience that evokes many, many, many real experiences. So shout out to Lorenz Tate. Beautiful, beautiful performance, and it's very, much worth noting in terms of when we're talking about the PTSD here, is that when he is having a argument with his baby mama, she goes after his masculinity and after so many other things that would usually set people off. Nothing that she says really sets Anthony off until she mentions the war. Then he really goes off on her in a way that is absolutely unforgivable. He chokes her and it is such a hard scene to watch. Again, having followed this character from when he was in high school and in love with her, would do anything for this woman. And then also seeing when he comes back that they do start off very, very well on a really nice, good foot. And again, just to see this descent into a man that we no longer recognize is just absolutely tragic. And speaking of tragedy, another descent that is so tragic to watch and another performance that could have been Oscar nominated is Chris Tucker. Chris Tucker again plays Anthony Lorenz Tate's best friend. And You know, Chris Tucker's character is always on some shit. You know, he's always joking around, playing around, you know, talking about women, talking about how I was going to do this, how I was going to do that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And he is definitely the clown of the group. And when he's in Vietnam, he eventually does go, even though in the beginning he says he's definitely not going to go. He eventually does go and, you know, luckily for him, does get put in the same group as Anthony, so at least he has someone that he knows that's there. But while he's in Vietnam, he becomes addicted to heroin. And that is a huge part of his descent. When he gets addicted to heroin, eventually he contracts HIV They never really say it, but they do allude to it in the fact that his white blood cell count is getting lower. You know, a lot of HIV contraction was through needles as well as it being a sexually transmitted disease. And to see him descend into addiction and descend essentially into an overdose later in the movie is (sighs) just so sad to watch, as this is, again, another experience that a lot of Black Vietnam vets went through that really is not talked about enough. I mean, would they have been exposed to this kind of addiction back home in America? Sure, absolutely, but the fact that this was used as such an extreme coping mechanism to really get through the horrors of what was happening to them there. And Chris Tucker, though known for being mostly a comedic performer, delivers that in the first two acts of the film. The act of the Bronx before the war and in Vietnam itself. His role gets really sad after that. And to see Chris Tucker's dramatic chops that were used in this film and really not used very much after is very interesting because, you know, after this, he did eventually do The Fifth Element. This boy is fueled like fire. So start melting, ladies, because the boy is hotter than hot. He's hot. hot, hot. An incredible film, an incredible, incredible film. And then Rush Hour, those two films probably being the films that he is most known for. Excellent work in both of those. And it's so worth noting that this is one of his best performances, one of his most diverse performances. He's just excellent. Another performance that could have been nominated for an Oscar here is Keith David. Keith David. <laughs> Keith David is always, 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 mag- always, 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 excellent. Oh, oh, oh. He is playing Kirby in this film, who is, Anthony's mentor in a lot of ways. He is an interesting father figure for Anthony because we don't really see Anthony's father a whole lot in this movie, though he is still married to his wife and is still, you know, involved with his family. You can tell that Anthony looks way more up to Kirby, Keith David's character, And Keith David's character is missing a leg from a previous war. So that's well worth noting that we are dealing with Vietnam vets and then we're also dealing with someone who's a vet from another war. I believe it was the Korean War that he went to. So it's showing you a couple of generations of black vets and how they are not supported when they return to the United States. Keith David is giving you his usual Keith David vibes with that voice, with that voice, that silky voice. And he's also giving you kind of an interesting amount of tenderness here. And interestingly, not playing a villain, because oftentimes, because of Keith David's voice and his appearance, he does get cast as villains. And though he is working in organized crime here, he's not seen as a villain. As I said, he is seen as a father figure and as a person that Anthony looks up to. And there are these moments of tenderness that he has with Anthony, where you can see that he's telling him in a lot of ways that like, I've been through what you're going through and I'm giving you really all that I can in terms of support here to support you. And he's also just, he's so wonderful. Of course, when he goes off and threatens to shoot somebody and um, his leg gets pulled off, it is such, such, such an incredible scene. Then we also have Bukim Woodbine here, who's playing Cleon who is a person that they meet when they're in war at Vietnam. And he is just so unhinged. He is so fucking bananas. He is so crazy. And at the same time, there is truth to what he's doing. There is a part where he collects the head of, someone who's on the opposing side of the war, and he keeps the head around with him. And eventually everyone's like, yo, throw that fucking head away, it fucking stinks. And Cleon is like, no, I'm keeping this because it's the only thing that's protecting us right now. Do you notice that we haven't lost anybody here yet? since I've collected this head and kept it around, so we're going to keep this head around. And everyone's like, no, throw it away, throw it away, throw it away, throw it away. And the head officer is finally just like, I am commanding you to throw that shit away. And of course, when he throws that shit away, Cleon was right. As crazy as he is, as unhinged as he is, as a kill machine as he is, once he throws that head away... Things go wrong. My boy Michael Imperioli gets his guts spilled out and it's terrible. It is really something to behold. And when Cleon comes back, he is a docile preacher. His attitude has completely changed. He is so incredibly calm disarmingly calm especially compared to how we have seen him earlier in the film and of course he is bought on to the robbery scheme and of course you know whenever you bring someone new into the mix that's when shit really goes awry and of course Cleon is eventually the one because of his new morals that does give them up another tragic descent to watch even though it's very different from Chris Tucker and Lorenz Tates, Freddy Rodriguez is great here. He becomes a pyro during the war because he becomes part of an explosives team that eventually does get him in trouble after the war. He's wonderful. Nebuchadnezzar Wright, as always, is so, so incredible. And then we also have Terrence Howard just very much establishing himself as this swarthy, slimy kind of guy who doesn't get to go to the war. So he seems to be the most fine and adjusted out of everybody in this age group in the movie. But yeah, this is Terrence Howard truly establishing himself as the character type that he would play throughout most of the rest of his career. So let's get into this theme of returning. So the Vietnam War was actually the first American war that black and white soldiers were not segregated and saw a very, very, very significant increase of Black soldiers fighting on the ground in combat. Though, of course, there was still segregation that was implied, and segregation that was simply, you know, a crossover from being in America, because just because white people are fighting overseas, does not mean that they would be less racist. And actually, black folks were more likely to be drafted than white folks. Even though in 1967, 11% of the U.S. population was black men, the percentage of black men drafted into the Vietnam War was 16.3. What? And, A lot of this was pointed, was very intentional. A lot of people who advocated against the war, a lot of these black nationalist organizations, a lot of these anti-war folks definitely were onto something when they hypothesized that part of the reason that this was was some form of Black American genocide, right? They sent off way more Black people because they knew that it was going to be a very dangerous war, a very violent war, a very traumatic war. So they wanted to send off as many Black dudes as they could. This is definitely backed up by the fact that some people that were part of the draft board were literally... Grand Wizards of the Ku Klux Klan. In Louisiana, Jack Helms was part of the draft board. And in 67, the NAACP Legal Defense Fund filed a lawsuit in South Carolina demanding that South Carolina halt the drafting of African Americans on the grounds of their absence on the state's draft boards. So essentially, a lot of these draft boards were a bunch of white folks And especially in the South, I mean, everywhere, we cannot pretend that there was not racism and there is not racism everywhere in this country. It's a very pointed thing that all these draft boards were drafting so many African-Americans and they also lowered the standard of an educational minimum for this war which also meant because of institutionalized racism within this country within the education system that there were more Black men eligible for this war. Now, of course, Black men still were up against so much racism within the war with all these white folks. Yes, there was some collaboration and, you know, I'm sure there were some friendships that evolved and things like that, but that does not discredit the fact that so many black men were put on the front lines of this war right in danger. And they also weren't really promoted in the ranks during the war either. And it is a proven fact that black men and Latin men, I would say as well, had much higher rates of PTSD during this war because they saw a group of people, the Vietnamese, who were being discriminated against, and there was a a sense of empathy with them. There was a sense of, I see you, with them. Therefore, making it harder for them to just blindly kill a bunch of people who were othered because they were very familiar with that experience. You know, on the Vietnam radio and all this messaging from the Vietnamese that was going around when they said, Black man, go home. This is not your war. That is also a note from their side saying that, like, we see how you are treated and we see how you are being treated during this situation and... At home, this isn't your war. You don't have to fight this. This is a war between us and the whites. We don't want to harm you in the ways that these white people who you are fighting with and fighting for want to harm you. The unemployment rate when the black men got home was through the roof. No one wanted to hire them, though they fought for their country. A lot of Black men, as you see in the film, descended into drug issues, addiction issues. And that is also because they're trying to escape what they're going through here. I mean, the fact that they just went through hell, something so violent and so meaningless, and to come home and be treated like shit, you know, that's gonna fuck a lot of people up. And I think I said this before, I have an uncle who fought in Vietnam, who is bipolar and obviously suffers from a lot of PTSD. I really want to get into the nitty gritty of this in my own life and, you know, continue doing some writing about this because this also had a byproduct effect a ripple effect on Black women. You know, these men came home and they simply were not the same whatsoever. So I'm sure that there was a lot of abuse that happened, a lot of men who were absent mentally, who couldn't take care of their families the way that they should have been able to, the way that anyone should be able to. It's just really sad. And also Black men were punished a lot more than white men were in the war. There were 58% prisoners of war. There were 34.3% court-martials, 25.5% of non-judicial punishments. It's crazy. And they were twice more as likely as white troops to receive punitive discharge. Black men received more than one-fifth of the bad conduct discharges and nearly one-third of dishonorable discharges. It's insane. It's really, really, really insane. Like, I think it's also worth noting that there were 400 memoirs written by white participants of the Vietnam War and only seven were written by African-American veterans because I think for a few reasons, you know, it being a much more difficult thing for us to contend with, these things that we were basically forced to do at the time, and also just the access and the wanting to hear from Black voices on this war, when this should be perhaps other than the Vietnamese people the voices that we should hear the most from about this war. So, you know, that's all to say that obviously as bad as things were for Black people in this country, they just went up tenfold for the Black men who had to fight in this war. And then again, for the Black women who had to live with these Black men after the war. So what other choice do you have in certain situations when you are returning to such a terrible situation from an incredibly traumatic situation than to pull off something big, such as a robbery. Now, this movie, to me, reminds me a lot of Set It Off in terms of Black people being pushed into a corner in this country where they have no other choice but to do something like robbing this fucking country. And honestly, it's deserved. It's kind of being asked for in a way, right? I mean, when you continuously mistreat people in so many different situations, in a way, like, what do you expect? So when Delilah is up on this idea to rob this Federal Reserve truck on its way from the bank. It is an idea that is for money and to also just get back at this fucking country for just treating these men like absolute trash on their return and it really just speaks volumes, right? <laughs> that they get to a point where there really is no other option. There's no employment. And they have come back to situations in life where they still need to feed themselves, feed their families. They need to continue to live life in a somewhat normal way. And they're also not being provided with the proper amount of care as well. That should also be noted that, you know, I feel like it's only been semi-recently and not when it was needed immediately for these Black men to see and seek mental counseling and also physical counseling. So, I mean, what else are you going to do but rob motherfuckers? And the way that this robbery is set up is really perfect in a way. And then, of course, things go absolutely awry because when you put all these people together, you have Chris Tucker's character who's dealing with addiction. So he becomes unreliable. Cleon, who is Bokeem Woodbine's character, though he is now a reverend, still has that crazy itch in him. And he's bought on as new, so he's unreliable. And... Freddie Rodriguez's character just wanting to blow shit up because of what he's been through and because of him kind of in his own way being addicted to explosives because of this war is also unreliable. So this bank robbery, though they pull it off, there are casualties. They do lose Delilah and... Afterwards, Cleon, you know, gives them up. It is still such a symbol of what the stakes were when these people returned from war and also shows you a very good view of all of these movements that wanted to provide some kind of support for these people that are returning to war. And it is... The last scene when Anthony is in court because they've all been caught, he speaks to being a veteran and how tough it was. And Martin Sheen's character, who was a vet of World War II or something like that, says that that's no excuse, like, blah, 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 blah. I fought and I didn't do anything like this. All this bullshit. And of course, Anthony goes off and starts throwing things at him because it's like, Bro, you are so 100% completely missing the point. We had completely different experiences. You are white, first of all. You were in World War II, second of all. And this is nowhere near the experience that I went through. So for Martin Sheen to throw that in his face is very emblematic of the way that other white people threw the same things into the faces of Black and Latin men who fought in the war. And these stories still continue to need to be told because they aren't being told enough. So in conclusion, this film is absolutely incredible. It tells a side of the story of the Vietnam War that we don't hear often, which is ours. It's often not taught in this very specific context and it needs to be. We have been served so much disrespect throughout time in this country, truly since the beginning. And for those who believe that doing this country a service during this time would make any kind of change to that treatment is truly tragic. This film gets it right, as does a film like Defy Bloods. We fought for this country, lost our lives, and got treated even worse upon return, which didn't even seem possible. I really want to do more research on this time period and specifically about us, because it connects to a film idea that I have, like I said before, as well as the fact that my uncle was a a Vietnam vet and it so clearly affected his life and his mental state. I want to read more, I want to know more, and I want more of these stories to be out here. So Dead Presidents is now available to rent on Apple Amazon, and YouTube. I highly recommend that you check it out if you have not seen it. Stay tuned after this ad break for this week's You Better Act Award. All my life I had to fight. Find- Welcome, welcome, welcome to this week's You Better Act Award. This is an award that I give out every single week on the show to a performance that is just absolutely extraordinary, just giving you everything that you want and need and deserves to be shouted off the rooftops. So this week's You Better Act Award goes to, drumroll please, Kiki Palmer in Note. Kiki Palmer, it has been such a wonderful journey to watch her grow from being a child actor in things like True Jackson VP, Aquila and the Bee, all these things as a kid to being a wonderful host and continuing to act in Hustlers and so many other projects. Her online videos and everything, so great. And it's so great to see her do this role in this movie, in this Jordan Peele movie. I've been so excited to see her in this ever since it was announced that Kiki was going to be in the next Jordan Peele film. And man, does she deliver. She plays Emerald, the female lead in this film. It should be noted that she is playing a queer character, which I love to see. Her charisma just oozes off the screen from the first moment you see her when she's delivering her monologue and the first scene when she's on set with her brother played wonderfully by Daniel Kaluuya. And that just continues throughout. She delivers so many laughs so much heart along with her brother. And it's just so wonderful to see the growth and the shine and the specificity. I mean, one of the best moments in the film that everyone says is when her and her brother are doing their fun handshake, hand slap. It's just, she's just so good. And um, I can't wait to see what else is birthed from her playing this role. She joins the illustrious league of the leading ladies of sci-fi. So I'm just so happy for Kiki, even though apparently white people are just somehow now discovering her and calling this a breakout performance. She has been acting since she was a literal child. This is the same thing that we have discovered with Journey Smollett, who has also been acting since she was a child. Just because y'all weren't paying attention does not mean it didn't happen. So give some snaps and claps to Miss Kiki Palmer for her wonderful, wonderful performance. And you can now catch Nope in theaters. And I highly recommend that you see it not just once, but twice and perhaps even three times because it is that good and it reveals that much after repeat viewings. So, in closing for today, some food for thought do you know any black vietnam vets personally and have you gotten a chance to talk about how the war affected their lives comment on our instagram at adventures in black cinema follow us on instagram at adventures in black cinema subscribe to the podcast on apple follow the podcast on spotify and give us a rating if you'd like thank you per usual to the team we have matt mozzarella on audio we have Cindy Edward, our production assistant, and we have Miss Amanda Seals, our executive producer. Our next screening, our next Adventures in Black Cinema screening at Nighthawk Cinema will be Bebe's Kids on 35mm at our Prospect Park location. And that'll be on Wednesday, September 14th. Get your tickets at NighthawkCinema.com. That is N-I-T-E-H-A-W-K Cinema.com. Come on through. Those have been a lot of fun, and you get your own personal physical passport to black film in our next episode we will be getting into the nitty-gritty of nope i know y'all have been wanting to hear me break this film down so i will be breaking it down for y'all and until then stay safe stay black and stay blessed bye y'all It's over. Great.